Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's been a long sports week in Philadelphia. I'm sure you're very tired. You stayed up till 2 a.m. Why? You, you stayed up till 2 a.m. to watch that hockey game last night, right? No. <laughs> really? <laughs> Did anybody? So it's really who, it's really funny. Who, I have a who were the two teams playing? Just uh, more clear. Carolina played against. Uh, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Florida and Florida yeah, won. So, so so you're the ratings guru. How it, bad do you think the ratings were? Doesn't oh, matter it, how good the hockey is. It, how bad do you think the ratings were? Not good. Uh, I mean, hockey didn't get any of the big markets. They had the Rangers in. They had uh, teams out in California, and they didn't get any of the big markets. They've got Dallas playing Vegas. They've got Carolina playing Florida. The hockey is spectacular. I don't think anybody will be watching, really. I'm sure it is spectacular, but not only did they not get big markets, they didn't get the stars. No. Like if it, Edmonton is a tiny market, but if, if Edmonton was in it and you got to see Connor McDavid, people would be watching. If Toronto was in it, people would be watching Matthews. There's a whole bunch of stars, none of them, unless you want to call Jack Eichel, a star who exactly are the are the faces of the nhl that are in this final four yeah they're not participating it's funny i have a friend who does not have a rooting interest in either of the teams is a huge hockey fan and i was joking with him and somebody else this morning that they played hockey for six hours last night i can't sleep for six hours straight without waking up to go to the bathroom and these guys played hockey and I did not stay awake for the whole thing. My friend said he did. And I, I said, you're crazier than me. Um, to which you would say the fact that I stayed up past midnight to watch into the second overtime makes me crazy, Jeff. So Yeah, well, it's again, it's, I, I know that it sounds very provincial and kind of stuck up to say it, but it's Florida versus Carolina. It just, the thing that bothers And I'm not saying that it should be any other way. These are clearly the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, but... It's Florida versus Carolina. And it, it, again, it's warm weather hockey. The The thing that, that bothers me watching it, I, I love watching hockey, you know, I'm a fan, is it just reminds me how far away the Flyers are from this type of hockey. And Keith Jones had an upfront seat last night because along with participating in the third longest overtime game while he played for the Flyers, he just called the sixth longest overtime game. But, I mean, he's got to see that the product on the ice that he's calling is not the product of the team that he's coming to lead right now. And? I, it just... Like, so a, what? I mean, anybody who takes over a franchise, for the most part, you're not going to get the situation where you're Golden State's uh, general manager, where you're going to take over a, a, a dynasty. When you take over a franchise at that level, for the most part, you're taking over a franchise that is struggling. It's just so disheartening as a fan to see how far away they are from from this. You know, maybe or they maybe, can turn it around. Or maybe and... they're not. Or maybe they're not. You don't know that. You, you know, usually I'm the one I was, who's... I was going to say, did we switch things. roles? I'm telling... Yeah, I'm telling you that when it comes to this... I, it, it, you don't know how long it's going to take. You should be happy because all you wanted for the last couple of years is this change. Yes. Now you've gotten these this change and you're sitting there watching at least part of a Florida Carolina final and going, oh, well, this isn't our team. We're so far away. I'm hopeful. Maybe you're not. I'm hopeful. No, you're not. That that was the most L poor listen. example of hopeful 
I have seen in a long time. I am hopeful because there are new voices. I'm mm -hmm. real, and so were they in the press conferences, that this is not a one-year or maybe even two-year turnaround. They'll make steps forward. They made steps forward not. this year. And by the way, it's a 50-year turnaround. Uh, exactly. That's uh, okay, so, you know, maybe it'll have, you know, I, 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 I can't get out of my head, though. I don't know who wrote the story a couple weeks ago before the draft, before they, they were picking where everybody picked in the, in the draft. And going, the Flyers have a really good chance because they haven't done well. <laughs> they haven't had luck in it before. So if, if that same person wants to apply <laughs> the last half a century to this, then the Flyers should win the Stanley Cup next year. Yeah, we should be all good. No, I, I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't subscribe to the "we're due for luck" theory w of things. Would you? But don't you feel at least a tiny bit good that you have a goalie, a young goalie? That you have a couple young, very good players in people like Travis Konechny that you can build around if the people now in the front office can find the right ways to build around it. Yes. And, okay. you know, I, well, that's I, all you can ask for. I didn't say that I was measured in my fandom watching the games last night. It, it what just... I'm shocked at is that you didn't go with, if you're going to go with this Eeyore sad, sad sack <laughs> thing, it is to say, Sergei Bobrovsky is in goal. For, in no, I've been doing that for Jimmy. Finals. I've been doing that for Jimmy Butler with the Heat as opposed to Bobrovsky with the, the Panthers of the, we had him here kind of guy. For us, we don't have Sergei Bobrovsky anymore. All right, well, we'll leave the hockey there and move to the we don't have or we do have anymore. Uh, we don't have a playoff team in the Sixers anymore, Jeff. Your surprise level is nothing. You called it before the season started. You warned me against getting sucked in getting hope i ignored you i was wrong not that i ever believed it but i wanted to believe it i tried to talk myself into it after game one did you believe it no i never really? felt comfortable i didn't feel I comfortable did. after game five in that series i know I'm, I'm not talking about after game five i'm talking after game one game one of the 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 the, the semifinals no i i no. I, I didn't think I didn't ever How about feel, game two. No, I, I, I didn't. Never. I didn't feel comfortable with the way that that series went um, from the start. You got you got game one. You got contributions from guys you didn't expect without Joel in the lineup. OK, right. um, mm -hmm. it, game five is the one once they lost their opportunity in game six, I thought that they had the chance at home, but I wasn't confident they would do it because Boston had that pedigree of doing it before. Um, so I never felt confident in the series. They could do it. I was hopeful. Like I always am as a fan. You, you know what you got after game one? What? You got to see what basketball freedom looks like. Oh, that's what he see, wants, see, Jeff. He wants. So, so you, if it, I will tell you that in five years, I'm going to say I told you so. Because you mean when we resign Harden? The single worst game for the franchise of the Sixers was game one. Because James Harden turned back the clock a little bit for one game without Joel Embiid there. And now he is convinced that this version of James Harden is the old James Harden, where he can selfishly chuck the ball up, dribble the ball down, dominate the ball for 20 out of 24 seconds, and do whatever he wants 
and also think he's going to win a championship. And he can't do any of that on a consistent basis. And if anybody has ever watched him, when's James Harden gone to the NBA Finals? When has James Harden carried a team for more than a game in the last few years? He, he is a disaster now, and he's a selfish disaster, and he's about to burn down the Philadelphia was, franchise if he comes back. I was just going to ask you that. Um, first of all, it's exactly what you and Keith both said on last week's show, uh, the trust and hero ball. Harden decided freedom was him having the ball in his hands, and you saw that in Game 7 where he just dribbled. There's Again, you watch these other teams in the NBA. You watch Denver last night, the movement that they have on the court, the way that they use their players, the way they change their matchups. You you watch the adjustments the Lakers make. Sixers never did that. Um, Doc is gone, but and and look, you know me. I wanted Doc gone. I I did not think that he was the best coach. Now I'm petrified that you're going to be well, right. Here, here's what people are going to miss because yes, you can go to the statistics of how many game sevens he's missed and how many how many potential game uh, series clinching games he he's squandered, if you want to say it. But there are players on a court, and one of the things that I have great fear of if Harden comes back. And I'm still praying he doesn't. I'd, ra- I'd rather burn it down our way than burn it down his I was going to ask you that. Would you rather yeah. take a year and let him go and get your salary cap cleaned up knowing that you're. Well, well, well let's let's get to that in a couple of minutes after we can we can come back to that after after we talk to Dave. OK, but before before we go to that, the thing that people are going to realize they're going to miss with Doc is that Doc did have some control over these players that I fear somebody else may not. You mean Mike D'Antoni? Doc got Harden at least at times to play different than Harden, different than basketball freedom, James. And uh, my fear is, is that if James stays, that means James had some say over the coach and the coach is going to coddle him. And we're going to have to have basketball freedom, James. Something that Keith said on last week's show keeps sticking in my head. He talked about how they have to resign Harden because Maury can't look like he has nothing to show after the Simmons deal. And yeah. that's yeah. my fear is that James Harden gets four years. We get Mike D'Antoni also that Daryl Maury can try and save face. So if Josh is still paying attention to his Sixers team instead of worrying about the commanders, what he should do right now is fire Daryl Morey to take that decision out of his hands. Do you because see you're that right. coming? D- Daryl feels like he is, co- he is connected at the hip to Harden. We all know it. And if, if, if it's going to mean four years, $40 million a year, whatever it is, for Harden, then get somebody else in here that says, you know what, what do we need to do to get back in three years? And that may be, cover your ears, everyone, trade Joel Embiid now and start over, not as the process, but start over and just do it the right way. We're going to leave that there and we're going to take it up after we talk some union soccer. Welcome to the show, Radio Voice, the Philadelphia Union on our sister station, 97.5, The Fanatic, Dave Lano. Dave, thanks for a few minutes. We can hear your, what are you, driving back to the stadium again? She's probably living there at this point. 
I am chasing <laughs> Jeff driving up and down the turnpike to Chester, uh, but that's a good thing, right? Uh, looking forward to ending our stretch of three games in eight days, busy, busy schedule from the start of the year to this point. So uh, happy to join you guys today. Talk some about that. This has been a crazy start to the season between in-season tournaments, regular MLS games. The team has five wins, four losses, three draws. They're in sixth place, tied with Columbus. Uh, the other night, you called the DC United game. You said it was frustrating. Coach Curtin said it feels like a loss. It was a draw, 0-0. Um, but talk about the, the gauntlet that this team has played through. Well, they've logged over 18,000 miles since the start of the year, which is crazy. And, you know, we're, I mean, I guess we're not even a third of the way through the year. You know, we play a 34 game schedule. The team's probably going to play close to 50 games this year. And, you know, at the start, for those that aren't aware, you know, soccer has a lot of competitions outside of the regular season. And, you know, for the union, you know, we, we go all in, as you guys know, the CONCACAF Champions League, which we did very well against uh, Atlas and Alianza. And, you know, we run into a tough LAFC team who, who made the CAF Champions League and, and beat us. I think, you know, if we, looking back, if we would have, you know, gone up two, maybe three in that first leg here on, I believe it was April 26th might've been a different story out in LA um, in the second leg, but we lost. That's all right. But it was another great run making the semifinals for the second time in three years. And we also played one open cup game in Minnesota, uh, which we lost factoring all that in plus preseason down in Florida. There's just a lot going on and I'm not trying to make excuses for the club. I think Jim Kurt, the coach and others will tell you, that it has not been good enough, and hopefully it will start to change. Um, I believe that since the LAFC game, we are unbeaten in four. You know, we've only allowed a few goals since that time. I think that you're going to see that be a clear demarcation between the end of Champions League and our surge going into the spring and summer months, where hopefully we can climb, as you mentioned, Jason, from six maybe all the way up to two or three moving forward and, and maybe contend for first in the East down the line. You know, Dave, for people that follow other sports, you don't see all of this international competition during a, during the middle of your regular season. It, it's a lot for a team and for players to, to bear. Is, is it going to be a positive because the competition, the international competition raises their game or is it going to be something that their bodies are going to start to break down and they're going to get tired as a result of playing all of these games? It's a great question. And I would say that it's only going to help them as they manage, you know, the roster. But having said that, I think the depth to your question needs to step up. And that has been a big question mark for those that haven't followed the union this year. You know, we haven't had those guys off the bench that have made such an impact when they get in after like the 60th minute in games. Different than last year where we had a super sub and Corey Burke would come in, you know, in a crazy game that maybe nothing was going on. Burke would make a, a huge play on his own, would get the crowd fired up and, you know, bagged home a couple of goals. We haven't had that. 
And what's troubling now, Jeff, is that, you know, we have Quinn Sullivan, and Jack McGlynn, two promising young players with the U.S. under-20s at their World Cup in Argentina. They couldn't miss a month. And then a lot of people haven't talked about it. But Andre Blake and also, uh, you know, one of our center backs, Damian Lowe, will likely miss June into July for the Gold Cup for Jamaica. So Joe Bendick, our backup keeper, is going to need to step up there. Uh, I do think that given all that, the lack of depth maybe this year, that it could be cumbersome to your to your point, uh, playing all those games. My opinion is I think playing that rigorous competition will help them moving forward in MLS. Uh, we do have a stretch where we're playing, like I said, three and eight. We had a midweek game uh, for this DC game this past Wednesday. Uh, then they play Memorial Day weekend at New York City FC. That's going to be a tough game as always. And then I think the week after that, we have another stretch of a midweek game and then a weekend game. So if you factor in all these midweek games, it definitely is going to take a toll on the body and need quick recovery. And we played the most games across all competitions than any other team in the league. I like to think, though, guys, um, I, I know I'm – sounding pretty optimistic just because what I've seen from the team since I've been around the club, you guys know kind of towards the summer months when the weather gets nicer, this team starts to bag goals. And I think that you're going to start to see that it's been hard to come by an open play this year. But I think as we move forward, end of May, June, July, and then there's a stop for leaks cup, by the way, for a month, which is crazy in itself um, where, where MLS teams will play. Liga MX, that's the, that's the league for Mexico. Um, we'll have to see where the union are at with that stoppage and then gearing up for the final stretch before the playoffs. If you're a fan trying to get into soccer, it's so hard to understand all these different tournaments yeah. and stoppages. True. Uh, the, the roster turnover and the people in and out and the injuries, it's led to Jim Curtin using multiple different formations this year in terms of his setup. They used a 3-5-2 against the Rapids when they won last Saturday. They normally play in a 4-4-2 on Wednesday night. They went to this Christmas tree with a 4-3-2-1. That's worked at times, but it looks different when Matt Real's playing there as opposed to Jose Martinez. Talk about the different formations the Union have played and, and how that might help them just being able to play so many different styles going down the stretch. Well, I think you need, for one, you need tactical flexibility given the scouts for the opposition. That's one. For Colorado... We played in a 3-5-2 against them. It's three in the back with two wingbacks on the outside. I think actually it worked out really well on the road. Colorado at the time was like unbeaten in like seven or eight games um, across all competitions. So that was a really big win, uh, even though they were a little bit down in the Western Conference. I don't care. That was a huge win, and that was at the time third consecutive. But I, I, I like the fact that we had wit in that game, evident by – I thought Kai Wagner got up so high on the left-hand side more than I've seen him this year. And kind of like I saw him at his best last year where he led MLS with 15 assists. So I think that was a product of the scout. Um, they go with the Christmas tree formation, the 4-3-2-1, with, especially with Gazdag and Joaquin Torres, who's had a hard time finding the field this year uh, because Jose Martinez was coming off injury. Um, he did get in as a second-half sub. Same with Michael Ua, had a knee injury. Came in as a second-half sub. 
Jack McGlynn, as you mentioned, out uh, with the under-20. So Matt Riel had to fill that spot on that left side of the midfield in that three in the midfield. And Flock sat deep at our quote-unquote number six position. He needed it because of the roster composition at the time. Um, I did see them when, when Ua and Martinez got into the game in the formation back to the 4-4-2 diamond with Ua and Carranza up top. I know that's the preferred method, and I know Jim and the staff want to have a clear identity playing 4-4-2, but as you move forward, you need to be able to switch between three in the back, four in the back, what the midfield shape looks like, because you have to try to exploit the weaknesses of the opponent. You know, it's, soccer is very much uh, not trying to simplify too much here, guys, but it's it's like a chess match. You know, how can we derail the worst player, the worst position on the opposite side of the field and whatever would put us in a more advantageous situation numbers-wise, can we get a 2v1 against our weakest player in the back line, whether it's, uh, you know, a left back or a right back or a center back or some guy that's has a hard time playing through the lines out of the midfield? That's what will dictate the formation, but a lot of it is due to who's available to the club. My guess is moving forward, yes, the preferred method will be 4-4-2, but given that guys are going to be out for a little bit, don't be surprised if you see three in the back, um, you can call it five in the back too, or a back four. You'll just have to see who's available for the union injury-wise and who the opponent is. Well, Dave, you talked about uh, the fact that some people are going to be out for a while. Is is there somebody or some buddies that are coming up uh, through the development program that we're going to get to see? You know, we're used to in the past couple of years seeing the Aronson brothers, seeing Jack McGlynn, seeing players like that come up and, and thrive in these types of situations. Is there somebody that we haven't seen yet that, that could be coming up that we could, we could get excited about during this time where we need depth? Yeah, I, I don't see anybody from Union 2 coming up onto the roster of the first-team roster this year. That's um, that's not saying that it, it couldn't happen, guys, but I have heard for myself. Um, I know there's some you know, names that are in the academy, and I know you guys spoke with Tommy Wilson, our academy director, you know, Quinn Sullivan's brother, um, uh, Kevin uh, Sullivan, he's been really, really, or Kevin, he's, he's been doing really, really well with the academy teams. I know the under-15, the under-17 teams did really well at the GA Cup. Uh, one of them won it all. One of them lost in the finals. Um, I think there's another young player named Bo Jung Lot from the under-15s. He's a little bit younger. Um, a couple guys that we're signed with the first team, but are playing for Union 2, like uh, Anton Sorensen's a left back. They have a young kid, Frankie Westfield, who's a right back. Nelson Pierre's up top was brought to preseason in Florida. I don't know if Nelson's ready um, to flourish up top. That begs the question. Does Ernst Tanner and his um, technical staff um, built led by their, their head of scouting, John Shear, do they go out and get somebody at the transfer window? Um, we've gotten guys before uh, in the past under Ernie Stewart, the prior 
sporting director like uh, Andrew Vutin, which was probably a swing and a miss from the second division in Germany. You know, we brought in a guy early on in the year, I think to start the year, Jay Simpson. This is going way back. Uh, he didn't really pay. Um, I think they're missing that guy up top. I think the priority is whether it comes uh, Jeff and Jason from the academy setup from Union 2 or from elsewhere is you got to help an attack that right now is a look is looking anemic at times. They need help. Quinn Sullivan. Uh, I love Quinn. And I think he would tell you he'd probably more flourish as a winger, uh, like a Fafa Pico in the past for us, as opposed to a second forward up top. So I don't see it coming from Union 2. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, that's great because I would love to see, you know, our academy bear fruit continue to do that for the first team. But I don't think you're getting that instant impact like a McGlynn, Sullivan. You mentioned Paxton Aarons in the past, like they've provided. It's going to come, I think, from elsewhere. I'll let Jeff ask one more after me at the end. I just wanted to ask about your your prep for the games. I enjoy you put out these spotting boards that people can see before the games, which for me, like I have no idea where my eye goes. But as you prep for New England this weekend on a short week of rest, how do you prep in terms of your boards and, and your research for the game so that you can give us the product that we hear on the radio on Saturday night? Oh, thanks for asking the question. You know, it's something that, that Jason and Jeff, you, you guys both know. I, I take a lot of pride in my prep work. That's, that's going since my high school days in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and the college at Indiana University in Bloomington. And, and regardless of if I'm doing like an ESPN game or the U.S. Open or my lacrosse uh, opportunities, um, and obviously at MLS, whether I've done TV or radio. And, and for a short week like New England, what I'll do is I'll watch a ton of film, which I have already, on New England. Um, we know them pretty well uh, because, obviously, you know, going back to the just a short time ago, the supporters show the year where we, we lost to them in the first round of the playoffs um, after our little bye there. Um, you know, they we played them like six or seven times. They kind of had the same style of play. Um, what I do is I watch their recent games. I'll go back and watch – you know, their last game that they played, which was a 2-1 loss uh, at Inter-Miami. I'll review uh, highlights of the games early on in the year. I'll go back and watch snippets of the games prior to the Miami game, just so I'm aware of what's going on this year, maybe new guys that made an impact. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll collect, I'll write down tidbits I see. It helps me with identification so I can, instead of names and numbers, um, I can go, okay, I know Brandon By wears you know, blue boots. I know Dewan Jones often comes up from the left-hand side, but he'll drift in to help Carlos Heal, who their number 10 drifts everywhere. And I can pick that up on film. And then I'll relay that to, you know, anybody I talk to at the union. And I try to at least catch up with, um, you know, if, if I don't catch up with the broadcaster of the opposition, I'll at least follow stories. I'll read newspaper clips, articles online. I'll talk with people, get the pulse of what's going on with the New England Revolution this year. But that prep is ongoing. It's not like a day before or day of thing for me. Um, I'm always big about um, never cramming, but doing it over time. And then when I'm comfortable and ready, I lay them out with the names, the numbers, the bio information, maybe a story here or two about a player. I'm not huge about boring people on, in this case, doing radio play-by-play with, with stats, 
Um, because people want to, on radio, I got to paint a very detailed picture. And that's the fine line between giving all, giving that storyline where I have more time on television to do that, where I can let the game breathe a little bit. But because people can't see the product when I'm doing radio play-by-play, I'm mainly following the ball, getting my analyst involved. But radio, as you guys know, just being on this media, it's a play-by-play person's domain. And I got to be on top of the play, descriptive as much as I can be. And what I do, guys, when I listen back to my tapes, I close my eyes and I say, can I envision what's really happening in front of me as if I was you know, sitting in the stands at Super Park? Am I, could, I, could I have been more descriptive in this sequence or in that sequence? Did I describe what the atmosphere was like? Uh, I always think of like where the when I listen to soccer on the radio, which I think is very, very tough. You guys know I do a lot of different sports. Um, I'm always big about where the ball is in relation to goal, because sometimes if you just said Dave to Jason to Jeff, uh, they cross it in. Like, you don't know where it is. Is it in the penalty area? Is it on the, you know, is it 30 yards away from goal? Like Jack Elliott attempted one from 55 yards away off of a, of a dead ball free kick on that restart that almost chipped the goalkeeper. I had to explain that, how far away from goal that was, not just, oh, here's a restart, here's a chance, oh, it just goes wide. Well, that's not descriptive enough. So it's not just the prep to your question. It's now trying to be the best radio broadcaster that I can be to make it sound like you guys are actually with me in the booth watching it before your eyes. So it's very challenging, but I love it. It's everything I dreamed about doing. Um, and uh, I don't take it for granted every time I cross that threshold into the stadium. In reviewing the film that you've been reviewing, do you see the union, do you see improvement over the last month or so? Yes and no. Um, Yes, those transition moments have been better. What I mean by that is transitioning from the back line to like when Martinez has been in or Leon Flock, obviously Martinez is the more preferred number six and then spraying it up high. Um, no, in the respect, Daniel Gazdag, our number 10, who was an MVP candidate last year. And I love Daniel. Um, sometimes like last game against DC sometimes is, is lost. Not, and, and it's not just a product of him not finding the ball. It's the team and the guys around him not getting him on the ball often when he's 60 yards away from goal. And I'm watching you know, or watching back on film or, or, or calling the game, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I barely called his, his name in the first half of the D.C. game. So I think, you know, the fact that we created, like, very little opportunity, and that was, you know, game 12 in MLS, and, like, overall, I know we're close to 20 games across all competitions. That's worrisome that we're not putting enough shots on goal and testing the goalkeeper. Uh, that needs to change. Um, I think... I'm happy with the way Andre Blake has been doing, got his third clean sheet. Uh, Glesnes, I think, uh, one of our center backs, is having a fantastic season stemming from last year's uh, MLS Defender of the Year. I think Jack Elliott has had some up-and-down moments, but I think uh, mostly up. Um, and that's the same with, you know, whether Kai Wagner's been in. He's been out due to, you know, injury. Uh, bagged three goals in, in two games last week. I think that was big for him personally. Um, but I think it's the... Mainly when people say, what's the question mark around the union? I can put it simply that the front three, the attack needs to improve. 
you know, we bagged 72 goals last year. We set so many club records, as you guys know, with goals scored, home wins. We didn't lose at home, road wins, et cetera. Um, we're not on that pace. We don't need to be like that this year, but it needs to be better from Ua, Carranza, and Gazdag. And that's not just on them, by the way. It's a product of, you know, guys like Bedoya helping them out. And, um, you know, when McGlynn's out, whoever's going to fill on that side of the diamond, maybe Leon Flock on Saturday against New England. Uh, it's, it's the others that need to step up too. So it is collective. And I know that's an easy one there to say it's on everybody, but I think the staff would tell you that it hasn't been the union way that we've seen, I guess, from last year. Um, it's, I think for me to, to, to talk to you guys now and say, you know, can the union go back to MLS Cup? I absolutely think they can um, because they have, I think, on paper, one of the best starting 11s in MLS. The question mark is, and what needs to change to your, to your question, is that when's the scoring coming, like from open play? That's been missing. How can we create more than, you know, how can we get a, a minimum of, three to four to five crosses into the box, a half like we've seen in the past. We have not been doing this year. Um, how can we isolate a defender 1v1 with a Karanz or Ua? Can we play a little more direct in space with balls over the top to get Ua more into the game? Can Gazdag be closer to goal? Uh, I'm giving you a lot here, but um, succinctly I can say that we're a little bit off in this stretch. I know we're in six. We're not too, too far. From like FC Cincinnati, New England at the top. I don't know if a supporter shield year is realistic this go around, but could we get up, you know, climb the table going towards the end of the year and make a run in the playoffs? Absolutely. We have the roster to do it. They just need to be productive on the field. You know, Dave, if it was soccer, you're used to calling games that have kind of a time limit. I don't know if you stayed up to watch that hockey game, the four overtime hockey game. What would you do in a situation like that? How exactly do you keep your energy to keep going for a game that just seems to never end? Six hours. Well, it, I, listen, uh, it reminded me of like, remember when the Flyers played the, uh, was it Boston where Keith Primo scored that goal? So the best uh, part was, was Keith. Six overtime? Yeah, Keith Jones played on that team and last night he called that game. So he was there right. for both. Is that, is that crazy? Um, as a broadcaster, Jeff, Jason, I, I love that. I mean, that's that's moments you live for. You just hope that your voice um, is as strong as it was <laughs> at, the, at the start of the game, right upon the first face-off, I guess, in hockey terms, or for, for me, kickoff in soccer. Um, I would uh, I would relish those opportunities. I mean, I think that those are moments that, you know, you know I'm sitting here driving down to the stadium now that I think about, like, you know, could there be a big uh, goal at the death of the game uh, against New England uh, on, on the weekend? Or could there be a, a stoppage time goal that wins it for the club? Uh, I, I would love those opportunities. Uh, I think that when you're doing a game like that, a four-overtime hockey game, um, and I have done hockey in the past, one of my first gigs was with the ECHL Trenton Titans, double-A hockey. Ah. I wasn't the play-by-play guy, but I was the PA announcer, and I could tell you, even doing games in overtime and just doing PA, uh, but play-by-play for other things that have gone to extra innings and overtime across all sports. Um, 
you got to build up to those moments. You don't want to start off the broadcast too hot, too excited, because you like a like a roller coaster when you go for that first big dip. You want to just slowly climb to the precipice and then to that peak, and then finally you can deliver. Um, the exciting moments, it doesn't – you guys might – I think you know my style. I tend to get into the games because I, can, I want to convey the same excitement that the fans are feeling in the stands, whether home or on the road. And we're traveling this year to call games, uh, which is a first for the union broadcasting, which has been amazing so far. Um, but I think that, you know, when you get a 3-4 overtime game, you just hope honestly – that you nail that game-winning goal or that big save, too, that you could stay on top of the play, get your identification right, and deliver for all your stakeholders. Because, you know, I, I go back to, remember in 2010 when uh, the Blackhawks scored? Was it Patrick Kane scored from a wide angle oh, against the Flyers? Killing me. Remember Doc Emmerich? Nobody, nobody, Doc Emmerich, who's the, probably the best hockey broadcaster nationally ever, and I don't think anybody in the stands at, at the at the Flyers Arena knew that the puck went in, and that was for the that was the game winning goal. That was the Stanley Cup goal uh, to win it. Um, so you just hope you you just got to always be prepared. And I often find myself in soccer, um, especially on like restarts and like funky situations or a weird goal from outside the box. You got to be prepared for for one of those goal scoring opportunities because you put your head down, you're buried in your notes, you're looking at your partner or somebody else, you're going to miss it. So, amid all that four overtime game, you better make that that big time call, um, and that's something obviously that will live forever in, in many people's hearts. Uh, we we can't wait to hear the next big time call that you make. Uh, you can hear Dave Lano on ninety seven five, the radio voice of the Philadelphia Union. Dave, have a great call this weekend. Look forward to hearing you, and uh, thanks for giving us some time. Talk to you soon. Love that, Jason and Jeff. Thank you so much, and thanks for both your support, not only of our broadcasts, but uh, of the union, too. Hopefully, we can keep climbing the table. Guys, continued success to both of you. Love the radio program and all the guys that you have on, and uh, keep killing it out there. Thanks, man. You have a great day. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains, and the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, coming back from break, uh, fun to talk to Dave Lino. Pretty candid about you know the state of the team and and what's going on and what has to change a little bit from what he's saying. Well, look, I appreciate his his positive outlook on the team. My big worry is not about the team as constructed. My worry about is the team as who gets to play. Like the thought that Andre Blake is going to be gone for what did he say a month? a month? Did you realize that? No, I did not. I pay attention, and, and I did not realize that. So yeah, so I, I I'm not saying Joe Bendick isn't a good goalie. He's not Andre Blake. No, nobody's Andre Blake. Right. So so how do you survive a month without one of the best goalies in the league over the last half a decade? Yeah, it's uh, it's concerning. Um, you know, they they I think that to your question, they have played a little bit better 
um, in the last few games, but they've had so many players in and out due to injury or or other play, or they've they've played so much that the players just need a little bit of a rest. I think they need to try to get in a rhythm, and I don't see when that happens before the end of July. Because well, that's you- that's what I'm worried about. Is I mean, what we saw, especially at the end of the season last season, was them scoring seven goals in a game, them scoring half a dozen goals repeatedly and you don't see that when you look at the scores of these games and you don't see how they're going to be able to do that if they're not able to play together yeah it's soccer soccer is a game of of patience and passing and like precision and i don't see how you can do that without practicing and playing together yeah, we'll we'll have to see what comes out. They've they've got a big match against uh, New England Saturday night in Chester. Uh, it is fun. Uh, Brandon, my six year old, is starting to get into soccer and wants me to take him to a game. So kind of excited. He's starting to want to watch sports more with me. Adam just wants to see the fanatic, the three year old. That's like he, any game he sees. Like he, we put on a baseball game for like something other than the Phillies, and he's looking for the fanatic at their at their game too. He's like, "Where's the fanatic?" I'm like, "Nope, not the Phillies, dude." That doesn't work that way. If he goes to a soccer game, he gets to see the snake. Yes. That's right. Fang. Uh, all right. Let's leave it there. Let's go back to our basketball talk. We we were about to get into what do you do with this team? Um, obviously, the, the coach and the, the players are all connected. What do they decide? I guess they decide on their player first. Are they going to bring Harden back? Because if they bring Harden back, that's probably going to be a different coach. Not that I think it should be, by the way. Like, I thought Doc should go. I thought the reasoning that it looks like Harden forced him out. I don't know whether that's cover for the team not wanting to to make the call that he needed to go or what, but I don't like the optics that it seems to be becoming Harden's team, not Embiid's team. And I don't know how oh, Embiid you, handles buy, that in the wrong run. In the wrong so, run. so, you know, people keep saying that Harden drove him out. I believe that is partly true. The question is, the second part of it, though, is people kept saying Embiid like Doc and that is this now becoming Harden's team? I cannot fathom a world in which the Sixers did not go to Joel Embiid and ask him what he thought. And look, and if Joel had said, I want Doc to be here, do you think that they would have fired Doc? I don't believe it. I believe that Joel came out and said the right things for a departing coach and, and probably said, you know what? I'll be okay. They, they got doc fired with the way they played, not with what they said. Okay. They're, if they, if they didn't right. want doc fired, they should have showed up for the end of game six and shown up for game seven. Other than that, you, you leave the conversation in somebody else's hand at that point. I am concerned about where they go. So, all right, let's talk about the options here. You know, if they, if they renew, and by, and by the way, before you get to the options, the the fact that Harden said out loud that he wants to go someplace with basketball freedom means he didn't I don't have think the freedom I've here. ever heard a professional athlete be as blunt as he was about I want to do things my way and I don't want that for this team I would rather take a step back than go forward with him so if he opted out but signs a max contract. Uh, with the Sixers, they'd be nine million over the tax, spending about one hundred and eighty million dollars. They wouldn't have access to their five million dollar mid level exemption and be restricted in how much money they could take back in a trade. If he leaves and signs with a team that has cap space, they'll still be over the cap, but will be able to use the twelve million dollar mid level exception. The only way that they get under the cap is if Harden leaves 
and they trade Harris and don't take back any salary. They also have no draft picks this year. None in the first round, none in the second round. What do you do, Jeff? Because I don't well, like the idea. Considering how poorly they've drafted other than Maxi and Embiid. They haven't. They just haven't given the, ti- the guys they've drafted time to play. Isaiah no, Joe plays oh, other no, places. No, nobody's left here and become a star. Their drafting has been bad. Well, they Period. haven't drafted at the top of the draft. They've been drafting guys in the second round or late first round. Um, they drafted Bridges in the middle and of the And traded him. Correct? Right, they traded him. Well, that's, again, they didn't give him the chance to develop. He's done just fine everywhere well, no, else he's that gone. You can't, you can't blame development. They traded him that day. No, look, I think that the front office is getting a pass here, and it's going on Doc and the players, but the pieces don't fit. The front office put this together, and it didn't work. And I don't want to run it back because I don't think it's going to work next year. I tried to buy in. I tried to go there, even though you warned me against it. I don't want to go back to this again. I don't want to watch James Harden dribbling the clock away at the top of the key while nobody moves on that court. I do not want to watch that brand of basketball. So I would rather take purgatory for a year because then you get Why are you saying a year? Well, Why are you only saying a year? I'm going to look look at the sale. First of all, the projected pr- practical cap space is negative $28 million right now. Okay. They have a Harold has a play player option this year. House has a player option. These aren't Sixers options. These are player options. Mac McClung has a qualifying offer of one point. I cannot believe that he has a qualifying offer, a two-way contract of $1.7 million. But then you have Harden. He's got a play, player option. Paul Reed has a qualifying offer. Melton has eight million guaranteed next year. Your boy Jaden Springer has a club option twenty four twenty five. Here's the worst one: you're stuck with PJ Tucker next year. Yeah, and he has a player option for almost twelve million dollars for the year after. So PJ is tied to Joel, I think, more than James. But I think that. House and no, he's tied to the Sixers. I know, but in terms of who wanted them here, like James's guys are Daniel House and McDaniel, and then those guys that you mentioned on the do they bring them back? Where are they financially? If Harden doesn't come back, they're in financial trouble in the short term. If Harden comes back, they're in purgatory in the long term as we watch James Harden age. I don't want to see that. I just don't. But this is the age old problem. Do you sell your do you sell your future for your present? And so the the question is, do you believe that James Harden next year coming back with this roster and a potential tweak or two can win a championship? My answer is no. No. What you what you saw was a heartless performance in a game seven of a person who's now said he's going to play his way and we know his way will not win. There is no way that if James Harden plays in his basketball freedom world, there is no way they can win a championship. He turns 34 in August. He ranks seventh in total minutes. He ranks seventh in total minutes played among active players. It's a lot of wear and tear on a body that he's forced himself out other places. And no, I I don't want to lock myself in for four years of James Harden. Now, you know, it, this is not hindsight. Neither you or I wanted this trade on the front side. So we're we're taking this position knowing that we didn't want him here in the first place. We wanted the Halliburton deal with Buddy Heald. But we didn't get that. And, and now we're here. So then the question becomes, all right, 
what do you do if you don't bring back Harden? Because Keith and I, we, we talked about it and we talked about it earlier. Maury isn't going to want to have nothing to show for that trade. But locking yourself into Harden for four years, like, I don't know, that, that concerns me a lot. I think that's, I don't see any good options right now, but the worst option would be keeping Harden. People want to keep talking about somehow getting rid of Harden and bringing Kyrie Irving in here. That will turn off so many people. But by the oh God, I don't want that. And by the way, it doesn't get any better with future assets. They owe their twenty their twenty twenty five pick is top six protected first round to Oklahoma City. So they if, don't get that one. If not in twenty twenty five, the Thunder receive either the twenty six or twenty seven top fourth protected first. Two years after the first to the Thunder is conveyed, they send Brooklyn a top eight protected first in either twenty twenty seven or twenty twenty eight. They have three second picks available to trade. That is all that they own in their future is three right. second round picks that they can trade. I could make you feel even worse. Oh, God. Ready? What, by Jimmy watching Butler. the other series? Jimmy, Jimmy Butler won game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. I know. And I threw stuff. It just is. It just twists the knife in, doesn't it? It does. Now, I know that. Okay. Looking at it now, I I, I, I'm watching you. See, people can't see your face, but watching you twist to try to find something positive out of what I just said. There's nothing the positive, painful thing, other other than it's disingenuous, in my opinion, for people to look back and say that they would have kept a 30 year old Jimmy Butler over a 21 year old Ben Simmons, who was a top draft pick. That just it does defies logic of what it is. Why was that? A, why was that a required choice? Because I think they signed Tobias because Jimmy laughed to the deal that they did, and they chose one or the other. I don't. I don't think that Jimmy so, wanted so to play you, with Ben. If we remember back, I think Jimmy didn't want to play with Ben. And guess what? So Jimmy would have been in his face all the time. I, I don't. And then we would have ended up in the same but spot. The, again, the Jimmy Sixers Butler. management chose. Ben. So they're right. getting so, a free it's pass. Dis- but it's not disingenuous. But the, the, the answer was Jimmy Butler should have stayed. The Sixers should not have traded him, especially for what they traded him for. Because Jimmy Butler and ben is Simmons the- would have sulked the same way he ended up sulking. Jimmy Butler is the alpha that this team needs. He was right. the guy that, that got Embiid accountable. Embiid still wants to play with him. So so how how would it have been worth it would have been better to have Jimmy here with Ben supposedly unhappy. I agree with you. Would still have Jimmy Butler. I agree with you. Maybe he maybe he would have made Ben Simmons better. Ben Simmons might not have liked the fact that he had to listen to him, but maybe he would have had to listen to him. Why didn't management make that happen? I agree with because you because they didn't have the spine to stand up at the time to Ben Simmons because they thought that Ben Simmons was going to be a star instead of shrinking every time the ball came into him. So do they have it to stand up to James Harden? Like they're back in that same position. And I know the yeah, NBA but this is, is a star driven league. You can't compare those two because it's not like Harden's not a shrinking violet. Harden's the opposite. No, I'm He's actually Mr. basketball. I'm actually freedom. more concerned because Harden is Maury's guy. Ben, right. Ben, like Ben was not Maury's guy. Harden is Maury's guy. 
That that's his dude. I don't get it. Have you ever seen in any sport a general manager other than quarterbacks? Have you ever seen in any sport where a general manager and a player are tied like this? No. Any anywhere. No, not at all. And it it's concerning because I don't feel like he's making the moves that are in the best interest of the Sixers. <laughs> like nothing that we're he watching. Thinks, I believe makes that sense. Maury's I believe Maury thinks he's doing he thinks what's in the he best is, interest. But, but he's I blinded by by the James Harden mystique, which I don't get. He is because I you know, people seem to easily forget that James Harden, if you just don't want to just look at what just happened in the playoffs, you can look at just the last three, four years of James Harden. And James Harden has been a bad teammate and a bad influence. This is a guy who who is in Houston and supposedly he wants to go back to this place where he basically fattened himself up in order to get traded out of the city and then went to Brooklyn and didn't like what he saw there and fattened himself up and sulked his way out of there. I think, And now he's here and he's saying, I don't want my Hall of Fame coach to be here because he's not letting me be me. Yeah. Look, I'm very concerned <laughs> because Sixers fans, I they haven't reached apathy yet, but like you did. I think in mass they haven't, but I feel like you have. I gave up my season, season tickets two and, years ago. And I think that you're the leading edge of that if something doesn't change. How and many- that's not, uh, look, I don't want to be a leader in, in, in throwing the Sixers out the door, but the Sixers organization is right now not doing anything in a way that gives anybody any confidence and hope. And and the worst thing that you can, the weird thing is, is the Sixers win 50 games every year and there appears to be a level of apathy setting in. Yes. And if James, if they put James Harden at the podium and announce a four-year deal, nobody's going to care anymore. I Nobody will care. They can go win, they can go set the record for 70 plus wins in a regular season and nobody is going, they're just going to say, okay, come back to me in Second April, May, and let's see what happens. They're going to do what you said to me all year. Show me when you win the second round. I and know what the bu- Sixers are going to do to order. They're going to tell people, they're going to sit there and they're going to tell their fans. Well, if you want to get to the playoffs, if you want those playoff tickets, you're going to have to buy those season tickets to get there. And less and less people are buying that. Look, well, you know that it's a problem when you have to sell yourself as this team's different. Okay? Then that's all I kept hearing all year long is this team's different. They've got more depth. They've got more veterans. They're more ready. No, in the big moment, they weren't any different. They folded. And I it made me cringe hearing Keith say the word quit. Because I don't like saying that athletes quit. I, I don't like to question their intent. But I'm having a hard time figuring out what these players actually did in that late game six and that game seven. I, I don't know if you know Embiid was fatigued. I'm not trying to make excuses. But I, I was shocked that there was not more effort out on that floor. Uh, Boston just out-hustled everything. And then you saw it. At Miami out-hustled Boston in game one. What I tell you before the playoffs, who's the guy I didn't want to see? Eric Spolstra. <laughs> the job that, I mean, you talk about coaching done, him and Jimmy, it's the two of them. They got your boy Duncan Robinson out there at this point who couldn't get the court all season long, and they're out there yeah, beating well, he everybody. Yeah, well, he hasn't exactly done much in his time out there. 
but that's some, yeah. that's my point is they're they're down so many players and yet they're still winning because they're playing team basketball. They've got movement and they're doing the things that they should do that you want to see. Then you flip on the other channel and you watch what Denver's doing. And it's like, wow. Yeah. See how many minutes it takes us to get to Denver. Like, like nobody seems to know what's going on out in Denver. But when you watch Jokic play, he's so, are you, is it not jaw dropping to, to watch a guy who doesn't seem to have the physical gifts of most of the NBA be able to do what he does against I'm, superior athletes. I'm sorry. We have less than a minute for this because he deserves That's all he, we have left. He deserves because, more. Um, I think we're blinded by our East coast and Embiid love that we don't see Jokic for what he well, is. We also might be blinded by his dad, Bob, but watching the way that he plays is, is just, special and I jamal mean, murray the things was, that he can do jamal murray yeah, couldn't hit the broad side of the barn before the fourth quarter and he went off like jason tatum playing the sixers i mean it was, and and i don't see you know, you know people want to focus on the lakers i don't see how the lakers can come back from this i yes they're going home now but you watch lebron james and, and he is so talented but he is he's just wearing down you can having see to do everything at the age of 38 is is an impossible task going to be our last thought thanks so much for joining us this week make sure to join us next friday night to help you start your weekend in style have a great one we'll talk to you next week bye-bye